Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. City of Chronicles is a Mia Chronicles production. Welcome to the Serie A Chronicles podcast with me, Mina Rizuki. And of course, I'm joined by none other than Nikki Bandini. How are you, Nikki? I'm good, Mina. I'm good. I'm very tired. I'm going through a slightly stressful uh, last bit of trying to buy a flat. We're getting very, very close. We're not there yet. God, it's been a while, hasn't it? It has. Oh my God, Mina. I can't. We could do, we could do several podcasts on the, the dramatics of my flat um, purchase, but that would be quite a sort of boring thing for most people. Um, and I feel very entitled to talking about it because being in a position to buy a flat nowadays is, is no small thing, um, even if the bank will own a good chunk of it. <laughs> I think you had a more exciting looking weekend, frankly. Uh, I've seen pictures of you, well, pictures from you looking somewhere very sunny this weekend. Yeah, I went to, um, I, I'm a little bit actually sick now. It's not COVID, oh. I tested, because um, <laughs> I'm not allowed <laughs> back in the country if I have it. Um, but uh, I went away to, I don't know how to pronounce it, Rovin in Croatia. <gasps> so check out, I have to fly for two hours. Easy, right? Yeah. Land in Zagreb. Then it's a three-hour drive from Zagreb. So all in all... It was like seven hours travel with like taxis to the hotel or whatever. Yeah. I was exhausted to be there for like 48 hours. I mean, Ronaldo is no longer in Serie A. I'm still doing speeches about this guy (laughs) and and the effect that he's had. Yeah. I'm almost like, is there anyone else? Um, I got sick coming back yesterday. Um, And what 
or sorry, coming back to, I don't even know what today is or yesterday or whatever it is, but coming back today, watching all the games on stream, which is a terrible thing to do because it's like awful. Um, but it was a great roundup of, of games it that was. we're going to have to so go into, Nikki. I actually really empathise with your sort of not knowing what day it was because <laughs> Syria, in their wisdom, have wanted us to sort of have a greater spread of games through the week, which I admire. I understand what they're doing. It's all uh, clever, I'm sure, for marketing and getting different countries, more people able to watch. But my God, when you have the previous round that ends on a Monday and then the new round starts on a Tuesday and goes through to Thursday with games at two different times in the evening, then... The next round starts on the Saturday. You're like, where in the week am I? I could be any day of the week now. There's just all of the football all the time. But as a counterpoint to that, I, I, people are going to start thinking that I'm just like here pumping the league up because it's like good for business. And it's a lie. Like I will say when things are shit. Right now, Serie A is heaps of fun. It really is so much fun, some of these games. And I mean, I guess we've got to start off by talking about the derby, don't we? Well, I think we have to talk about the derby mostly because of Mourinho's reaction, um, or at least that was my favourite part of it. And here's the thing, yeah, because um, I also sometimes like will have a cheeky bet on a game if I'm excited about it. Yeah, I never put like more than like five or ten pounds on a game. But isn't it just like Lazio to just go against the order of the day and be the one that does something that totally shocks you? Just before we get into it, I'm going to give you guys a roundup. We are going to talk Milan. We are going to talk, obviously, about that amazing match between Inter Atalanta. Juventus are finally winning, albeit very narrow wins. So we're going to go through all of that. But we'll start off with the, with the huge derby della Capitale. And we'll start off with, I don't know, Nikki, what do you think? Do you think Maurizio Sarri deserved that win? Or did you think that that was a, a Lazio win done on Inzaghi's football? I, I really don't know. Like, I, I think that, like, the, it's so tempting, isn't it? It's like, it's a derby, it's a derby. Narratives, where's my overarching story of where these two teams are headed? I won't be shocked if Lazio lose the next two games after this. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think it's that sort of game, honestly, where, like, I take these sort of takeaways from it and that's told me everything. But I enjoyed how much everyone played their part. Like, Mourinho, as you were just sort of alluding to, comes out of the game and it's, the grand injustice, the referee stole it from us, just like the referee in midweek who got Pellegrini um, suspended. And frankly, like a lot of his complaints were were, were not um, ill-founded. Like they were, they were all right. We'll get into that. But I just love that as a counterpoint to Maurizio Sarri, who before the game is telling people, oh, I'm not stressed out. I found it more stressful when I was coaching San Giovanese against Montevarchi in Serie C, and you just think, my God, these two are caricatures. They're caricatures of themselves. Well, yeah, here's the thing, like, did you think that potentially that Mourinho was doing this to sort of get Roma fans on board? Um, as, uh, it was really funny because when I asked you that first question about whether or not Sadi, you know, deserved it, um, our producer, who is a Roma fan, is is really shaking <laughs> his head. I mean, like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Poor producer Simon. <laughs> but, um, and I don't know whether that's a biased opinion or not but you know Mourinho and here's the thing I feel like he always loses some of these actually big derbies like he lost when he was at Inter against Milan he lost to Barcelona when he was with Real Madrid the first one and then he figures out ways of basically destroying the opponent eventually um, and, and a lot of people will say they don't necessarily deserve to lose this one because they're the supporters of that opinion but for me I thought that 
Lazio just showed a lot of variation in their tactics. And I love the fact that they are supposed to be a possession team, but played this amazing counter-attacking football that did you not think Mourinho was saying sort of, oh, I mean, their goals were counter-attacks. And he was looking down on it. I'm like, you're the master of counter-attacks. You went to Real Madrid and perfected the 13-second counter-attack. So why are you looking down on it? Is this just a show or do you think yeah. he's genuinely upset? No, it's... It- it, look, it's Jose, Mina. Like, it's literally <laughs> always a show. It's only ever been a show. I imagine that when he was five years old at home, it was a big show about um, who just sort of, I don't know, like spilled something in the cat's bowl or something. There was always probably a, a, a misdirection and a, and a trick because it's always this. And the, the end of game narrative, um, which I was talking about, where it's, oh, we should have had a penalty. I think they probably should have had a penalty with that uh, before the um, the, the second Lazio goal. And looking at it more, I think Zaniola was fouled. Doesn't mention the fact that they got a penalty later, which that wasn't deserved. If anything, Zaniola committed the foul. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, so it's always it's always a show and, and misdirection with Mourinho. I thought the game was just. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this. I thought it was. This is why I was sort of didn't want to give like a sweeping judgment on it. It was bits and pieces. In parts, Lazio were brilliant. Lazio's goals were brilliant. And I thought the first one out of all of them maybe had like a bit of Inzaghi with a bit of Sari because yes, it was a counterattack, but it also had a beautiful passing triangle. How obsessed were we in the first Naples, the first Napoli experience of Sari with the passing triangles? This was a beautiful passing triangle between um, Milinkovic, Savic, um, I think it was Immobile and uh, and Felipe Anderson yeah. that set up uh, that goal. So I, I give that one a bit from from both of them. The other two goals, as far as I'm concerned, were Inzaghi goals, if I'm being honest. I think they were. What, Pedro's goals? Well, Pedro's goal and then... And then Anderson's um, goal at the end. Yes, uh, Felipe Anderson's goal. Because they were they were Immobile breakaways. And both times I felt really selfless play from Immobile. But selfless, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you felt about that. Firstly, I, I don't know why, but you know, Immobile gets so much flack with the national team that sometimes I, you know, when I am sort of in the zone of watching the Azzurri, I end up sort of like disliking him a lot. And then I see these performances from him and I think, firstly, he has a lot of pace for somebody that's over 30. You know, the way that he just outruns oh, yeah. everyone, um, like he did for that third goal and delivered so unselfishly. It was so smart. He was so good with his feet. And I just think you are a very good player. It's obviously, you know, this is the kind of play that suits you. Um, you're not always going to be the person that, you know, I mean, he's no Osterman, right? <laughs> but who is at the moment? But we'll I guess, <laughs> I guess the reason why I felt that Lazio, uh, deserved it, um, and not, even though I think it's a close context, uh, contest, I really love watching Roma at the moment. So this is, I'm so sorry to our producer, but it is a case of when I look at what Lazio produced, I thought there was more of a unity between the front three, between like Pedro, Anderson and, and Immobile. I felt like everyone was on board, Milinkovic, Savage. It was just a lot more sort of understanding between it all. Whereas I thought a lot of the time there wasn't clear attacking schemes from Roma. It's kind of a lot of, you know, set pieces, corners, let's try to make something out of it. Zaniolo falling, potentially getting penalties. I don't see any clear ideas going forward when Pellegrini is not obvious. I mean, I tweeted it out. Yeah. But I don't know if you agree with that, but I don't necessarily, it's kind of the issue that he's always been criticized for, right? It, there isn't a clear scheme where you do think sometimes when you watch Lazio, you kind of see what they're doing up front. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, again, some of what Lazio are doing, um, you, know, you ask yourself, is this is this really um, Sari's work or is it um, Odinzaghi? Um, because 
I, I think a lot of that stuff that built from the back was also, um, or those quick counters even start with Luis Alberto dropping into really smart positions, which he was always brilliant at Antonin Zaghi. Yeah. And I, I think that Roma do not have anything like that sort of cohesiveness in the end. A lot of best Roma's best chances came from set pieces, which they are looking good at. And that's something that Mourinho has obviously worked on. Yeah, Pellegrini was a huge loss. Pellegrini is very clearly, I think, and I think Mourinho has done this over and over again in his career. Pellegrini is one of the sort of absolutely key players that Mourinho has said, I'm going to make you at the centre of everything. You're going to be my Wesley Schneider. You're going to be my, put my stamp on you. You're going to feel like I support you a million percent and you're going to be brilliant. And taking that out, it felt like a lot of the plan in this game was get the ball to Zaniolo and let him be really good, which he is. He's really good. But it doesn't work as a plan. Whereas Lazio's plan, maybe it was still not totally clear. Maybe it was a bit of Sari, a bit of Inzaghi. I don't want to completely um, do down Sari, by the way. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But it was a plan, which Roma, to me, didn't really have a plan. Yeah, I, I think that's where I agree with you. And actually, I do want to speak about, because you mentioned Zaniolo, because the plan does seem, and he seemed to be the driving force behind the team in the absence of Pellegrini. Mm. He is obviously very talented. It's remarkable that he's come back from these two knee surgeries and really is a player that is so outrageously beautiful to watch on the pitch. God, I'm so excited for the World Cup. Him and Pellegrini as well, added to that team. Aren't you? Like, I'm the same. Italy, the young Italians in Serie A this season are wild. We'll get on to Barella at some point as well. It's been a oh wild God, start. Oh, God, what a performance Italians. from him as well. Pessina as well yeah. in that game. Anyway, sorry. But, yeah. but just before that, are you a little bit worried about... I, I know he's amazing on the pitch, but off the pitch, obviously, there was like a video of him sort of signaling. I know the emotions are very big in a derby and stuff. But do you not think sometimes, you know, like the falling over to get penalties, the way that he is in social media, the... I'm not sure his attitude is the right one. You know, like when I hear sometimes like Angry Angisa talk for Napoli or these other players that are talking like, um, you know, the younger kids, I feel like maybe Zaniolo is a little bit like, yeah, and what? Yeah, and do you know who I am? Sort of, I don't know. It, it's a little yeah. bit, it's bothering me. And I, I feel like he's so good. So he can, he's allowed to do this as long as he's good, you know, but there was a part of me that's kind of like pipe down and just, you know, like be a lovable human for a second. It's, it's an interesting take. Um, for those people who missed it, yeah, it's at the end of the game, as, as he was coming off, um, Zaniolo sort of made a gesture grabbing at his crotch, I guess, at, at, towards some of the, the, the Lazio supporters. Um, he, there were um, hurling insults, so I get it. Like, the, you know, there are emotions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um I think what's interesting about that to me, actually, and, and I, I do think you've sort of touched on something there, um, which I, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about. And I think it's it's a really interesting uh, thought. And because, again, if you want to contrast with some of those other young Italian players we're excited about, I think Barella, Chiesa, Pellegrini, they're players who have competitiveness. They've got fury. They've got flaws as well. But I'm not sure any of them feel quite as uncontrolled as Zaniolo. And look, Zaniolo's missed a lot of football in the last couple of years. So maybe it's just about... He needs some more time to to, to be on the pitch and, and to get that sense of control back. But then a little part of me, as you were saying that, Mina, like the little sort of devil on my shoulders, like, yeah. And is Mourinho coming out and saying we're at war with everyone actually what he needs to hear right now? Or does he need someone saying to him, all right, sunshine? Pipe down. A little bit of order here, please. 
I mean, you yeah. just, you, I mean, that was just like the perfect comment. Yeah. Like really, really the perfect comment because Zaniolo is already sort of like, he reminds me a little bit of Pepe from Real Madrid, you know, when like, like that kind of guy, okay, maybe he's not as annoying as Pepe, yeah. but that kind of guy that's always really worked up, really trying to prove himself, like really like, yeah. And like Doma when he like scores a goal. I mean, I'm now speaking Spanish, but you know what I mean? Like that kind of guy. And you sort of want him to be coached by maybe Stefano Pioli, who'll be like piped down and, and like, Pioli. you know, like have some humor. Yeah. What did I say? Did I say something? Pioli. No, like you said have- Pioli. I'm just oh, agreeing. No, I did. Okay. Sorry, I'm an echo. <laughs> um, saying he, I was worried I said something else. You know, having him below humility, like understanding that, you know, like don't worry about this stuff, be a leader, be the guy, you know? And instead it's like, he's got this Mourinho who's going to play to that, right? Because he loves that side of things. And I wonder whether it will get out of hand and Mancini will have issue with it or other people might have an issue with it, you know? because he might mm. reckon himself too much eventually. That's my, it's just him. Like, I'm just kind of like want to bring him back in because a lot of people are talking about Mbappe. I think it's unfair to talk about Mbappe. And I don't want Zaniolo to sort of fall into that same level of attitude, you know, because there isn't a name on that's spoiling him. So, <laughs> it's, I, I think it's really, I think it's a really interesting point. And I think it's a really interesting point more broadly about the identities of these two clubs. Um, and and I, I say this again, like I'm not saying that one's better than the other. I just think it's a, a fascinating contrast that is being, I think it's almost actually like the pre-existing identities that these clubs have within Rome is being reinforced by these two slightly extreme personalities that the, that the managers, because Mourinho is all bombast and and drama and, and citing philosophers in his press conferences. And Sarri is, to, I think, to, to, to the point of parody, this sort of like, oh, well, you know, back when I was in the third division um, <laughs> and and like Sally, like if you sort of listen to what's being reported in the, in the media in Rome, like he's gone there, he's basically moved into Formello, the training ground. I, his, his wife has moved to Rome with him, but as I understand it, she's not like there because she's got like an actual home, but he doesn't go home. He just works. He just stays there and he works and he works and he works. And it's this sort of ridiculous sort of Spartan uh, obsession about him. And I don't know if it's going to get them the answers they want, actually, because I, I don't think this game tells me that Sadi is suddenly on the right track. But I just think there's this sort of, I don't know, this dueling ideal between the two Rome clubs that I find intoxicating, actually, to watch. I really enjoyed this derby. I enjoyed it a lot. I imagine if you supported one of those teams, it would have been stressful and different. But as someone who's sat there with their bucket of popcorn, I thought it was great. Yeah, especially after like, you know, derbies that had pet coverage and whatever. I do want to say that in Formella, do you know who his next door neighbour is? It's Olympia, the eagle. <laughs> so that's why he said yes, I was so is. happy to celebrate with her. Let's move on to the other huge match that if you didn't watch, oh my God, did you miss out? <laughs> what do you think it is, Nikki? <laughs> oh my goodness. Do you know what I mean? Like, I genuinely think there's a few different games that you could be yeah, talking about. Yeah, that is true, actually. Yeah. But you're probably talking about Inter Atlanta. Yeah, I am. It is indeed Inter and Atalanta is the next match because it was, oh my God, super exciting, super crazy. And Nikki, you said that I don't want to draw conclusions from the derby because it is a very emotional game and things can maybe change that. But 
Can you draw any conclusions from Atalanta's performance, for example, or Inter's for that matter? I I think you can get more conclusions from from these games because there are some continuations of a trend. I think we are seeing an Inter that is more open than Antonio Conte's Inter so far. Yeah. With sort of ups and downs attached to that. I think we are seeing some sort of specifics in the nuance of it, in the way that we see Lautaro now interpreting that number nine role, which is really exciting. And on the other side of it, we can see that Atalanta's sort of resilience and and quality is perhaps more than I'd given them credit for earlier in the season. I, I think I can't I can't not start with Lautaro and the season he's having. I mean, bad efforts. I don't this little thing started. I'm going to start with Lautaro anyway. Okay. Just because this was the big conversation, right? Lukaku is gone and my God, number one goal scorer, number one assist provider, he's gone. Where will where will the leadership come from? Where will the sort of impetus come from? And it's it's there. Lautaro is, I mean, it was a brilliant goal. He scored the first one. I thought the cross from Bernardo was a tiny bit behind him. He just changed his body and volleyed it top corner. He's so technically good, Mina. I don't want to, like, the problem is, like, I don't know if you feel like this. The problem is as soon as you have these conversations, it's like, oh, like, I have to put him in opposition with Lukaku. And it's not like that. Lukaku was brilliant. He won the league and now he's gone. But Lautaro is brilliant in a different way. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think that he's grown massively since the departure of of Lukaku. Maybe because it is Inzaghi's sort of game plan, which means and sees them higher up the pitch. Maybe because there are more sort of, you know, solutions, like they like to say in Italian, for scoring a goal. But I, or maybe he just really enjoys being the main man. I, I can't figure out what it is. But but what I what's interesting is that I'll, I'll watch Chalonoglu. I'll be amazed by some of his performances. And then something happens and he just disappears for the rest of the match. He is still the inconsistent player that we saw from Milan. I mean, he was good for what, the first 20 minutes? And then he was good in the first match. But sometimes you just feel like he doesn't have the vertical push that perhaps Ericsson could provide. He can't direct the game and help out Brozovic. He's sort of in this little bubble where if you let him do his thing, he'll dazzle you. But if you don't let him do his thing, he doesn't know how else to really to give something to the team, to provide something else, because I don't know what exactly it is that he wants to do. Because I felt like towards the end of the match, he disappeared. And more than anything, I know that we've lost Asha Hakimi and I know that we've lost Lukaku, but Dumfries is so exciting to watch, you know. Lautaro Martinez is really enjoying himself. Jekko is proving to be, a, you know, amazing as well really acclimatized the situation but he's a veteran you know but I feel like the Ericsson factor with Chananolu is probably the thing that has is the difference between now and last year yeah I I I, I do agree I think it's it's a fundamental shift in how you interpret that midfield because Ericsson was never really sitting in the sort of trequartista space well he was yeah. at the beginning and it didn't work he wasn't sitting in that trequartista space by the time it, it worked for him at Inter. He was sitting in this hybrid regista metala space. And, and I, you know, Chalanoglu is further forward than that. Chalanoglu is, is in a more advanced role than that. And it's it's shifting the whole... I never know, like, this is one of those ridiculous things because English is my first language and Italian is my <laughs> second language, right? But sometimes there are words in a footballing context I don't know how to properly port across like in Italy they talk all the time about baricentro like the baricentro della squadra which is the the sort of median point on the pitch which the team occupies and 
I, I'm pretty certain without looking at the numbers, I'm sorry I haven't checked them, that um, Inzaghi has dragged the Buddy Chentra forward, right? They have moved their centre of gravity. Their, their center. Yes, exactly. The centre of gravity is a good way of translating it. And I think Chalanoglu is, is an important part of that. I think probably the way that Lautaro plays up front is part of that because there's less, not that it, this was like the, the main way of it happening, but there's, there's just less of centre forwards coming back to, to get the ball and more of them asking for it in behind than there was before, I think. Which again, very Inzaghi, that's what his Lancio teams do. And I think these these sort of tactical shifts being made by um, Inzaghi are perhaps combining with the, the nature of the players at his disposal as well. And, and you know, without wanting to drag you back off Chattanooga and back to Lautaro, I do find that that dynamic of him being sort of the man really interesting because I remember when so when having sort of that moment when um, fans of fan, football fan friends of mine who didn't watch Italian football were seeing him in the Champions League for the first time and going, oh, he's he's a number 10 and Lukaku's number nine. I'm like, he's not a number 10. He's a number nine. He's just kind of got to work off this other number nine because there's two of them. So yeah, it's I think those things are probably all combining a bit to drag this team forward in a slightly different way. Well, I think that's what makes it so interesting is that there it is the high center of gravity. It is the unpredictability of the way that they move. There's a lot of talking about their mentalities that are as tough as, uh, as you know, as it used to be, right? Are they? But that's because they're not really a team that scores a goal and closes down to protect itself either, you know. Do, and so, do you think it's a little bit Pat Sainte? Is it Pat Sainte? Well, this is now? what they're doing, and I'm. Firstly, I do think that Handanovic is a little bit more Pat this season than last season. Yeah, <laughs> where he has moments of like, oh wow, that was great, and oh wow, well that was awful. I mean, his error error sort of atoned for the fact that Atalanta didn't get their third goal as well. You know, um, mm-hmm. error covered up the other error, if that makes sense. But it's it's if you want to be a side that's more predictable or unpredictable, you know, having those performances in the Champions League, being a side that can actually score goals or do something different, you know, um, across the board, I think it's a higher level of, a, of an attacking scheme right now. It's more nuanced. Everyone is getting involved. Look at how many different goal scorers there are. It's not a side that's dependent on, you know, let's hope Bastoni gets a long ball towards Lukaku. Let's see if he can, you know, like hold it up, either deliver a pass or score himself, you know. I think there is an element of that means the back line is going to be under a little bit more pressure. And actually, when you look at the stats right now, they conceded around 10.2 shots on goal last season. Now it's closer to 12.5. I mean, it's still very early, so we don't want to draw too many conclusions. But if you remember last season, mm-hmm. I mean, how bad were into in the beginning as well on, an, on a defensive level? And at the time, it seemed like Conte wanted to take those sacrifices to improve the attacking play, to ensure that it's a lot of fun there. But... For once, can I just say that, like, because I'm always kind of harsh on Inzaghi on his substitutions, I thought that they were amazing this time round. And I thought if anyone buried himself with the substitutions, he, he didn't bury himself, but I was a little upset with the way that Gasparini handled it, you know? So I thought it was so they, good. I mean, they nearly won the game. They had yeah. that goal disallowed at the end. They did. Um, and then, but Di Marco could have scored that penalty like? too. Uh, so I think actually 2-2 is very fair, if that makes sense. What do you think? Oh yeah, I agree with that. No, I think I think two teams was reflective of the game. Um, I can understand Inter being more frustrated because they're at home because they had the penalty, but I, I think two two was was quite reflective. And uh, Atalanta back, yeah, yeah. I, I think it was. Uh, I don't know. There's just some really there's some really exciting individual performances in there. I think Atalanta, who 
I I was skeptical of at the start of the season. I thought, is this finally going to be a tipping point? And then you watch Malinowski, who's brilliant goal we haven't mentioned, do things like that, and you think, actually, no, they're, they're probably still fine. It's just Gasparini. We'll we'll find more solutions as he always does. But you know, on the other side, you've got Barella just being ridiculous. I'm, I'm ridiculous. I mean, Barella is ridiculous. I, th- I think Barel is, is, you know, my, my current football crush. You know, I, I think there's always sort of different players you get obsessed with. And I think I'm quite obsessed with Barel at the moment. He's got um, five assists already this season, but just the way he plays football. And I think he's become so sort of quickly the the, the heartbeat of that Inter team. But I don't know, I, I'm sort of, to, to, to call it back to what you just said, Mina, I'm, I'm still with every team almost, I'm still in this sort of mindset of, yeah, it's, it is six games and there are going to be variances. There are going to be things that change. You know, l- last season, even at Inter, you had Conte for a while being like, oh, I don't know about this Milan Skriniar. I don't know if he fits in a back three and he ends up being brilliant as we know he can be. So all of these things are, are still dynamics that are being worked out. If there is one dynamic that, that definitely needs to be worked out, though, it is inter penalty takers because they've had some terrible penalty takers in, in, in recent times. Oh, I, I just feel sorry for. But I do want to mention Barello because I think that he does deserve like as much praise as possible. My crush is Pellegrini, so although Barello <laughs> is swiftly getting up there right now, but he was on another level in this match, also because of the fact that he offers so much defensively as well. And that ability to then deliver an assist and to, you know, perfect crosses, always understands his positioning, fights so hard, and also just never demands any of the glory. Like, he's always the guy that wants to rush to, to... to cheer with everyone. He's not the one that you know, sort of waits for the agile. I don't know. There's so much about Barella to love. I also think there's so much to love about Pessina. I want to talk about him as well, because having him alongside Malinovsky behind Zapata, who's sort of, Zapata does a lot of sacrifices right now, you know, the way that he's playing his game. And I, I, I find it, you know, it's a very Gasparini, Atalanta thing where people will sacrifice for the other. But that midfield that used to be so strong, I'm not sure it is, but having, a, you know, those two guys, the sheer technical ability of Malinowski and the tactical ability of Pessina, I think is just like the world's wow, you know, having that. Imagine if in midfield they had Anguissa and Fabian Ruiz, there would be the ridiculous team, you know? Wow. <laughs> but just having these little partnerships, fun- I like seeing that, you know? It's funny you should mention those two. I think we should we should move on and, and talk about Napoli. I'll just say quickly, it's an international break coming up. So all these Italian midfielders, I think we should get a, a, a nice chat about those uh, coming up with the international break because I think Italy is so blessed right now in midfield. probably time Mina that we took uh, a, a, t- a trip down to Naples to check in on the only team in Serie A with a perfect record six wins from six ridiculously the way that the football calendar has been worked out I guess partly because they were playing in the Europa League 
they played three games last week from Monday to Sunday. So they didn't even sort of start Sunday to Sunday, Monday to Sunday, three games. They won all of them. They scored 10 goals and they didn't concede once. Now, this weekend was only Calgary. Calgary were beyond awful, zero ambition in that (laughs) team whatsoever. But (laughs) it's pretty impressive stuff from Spalletti's team right now, Mina. You like that? You like me? You like me trashing Calgary? Apparently, I just like you trashing anyone. It always makes me really laugh. They were so bad. They were one nil down and trying to defend it. I hate it. I mean, isn't that Walter Mazzari though? Like Walter Mazzari. Yeah, let's look after this one nil loss. Yes, let's make sure that we don't get completely trashed. You know, and and yeah, Gazetta still wants to trash on Allegri and not Mazzari. But anyway, that's a whole nother criticism for another day. Now, Billy, it doesn't help that a few weeks on our first episode of this podcast, I said I don't trust them. I still don't trust them. And I know that that sounds ridiculous considering how unbelievable they are. But I will also draw on something that I said a long time ago in the predecessor of this podcast. And I said that I felt that if Spalletti had had the team that Antonio Conte had in Inter, then I'm fairly certain that he would have also won the Scudetto. I mean, this was a guy that started the Inter project. I think he did really great work, to be honest. And he had a Mauro Icardi that was refusing to play because Inter didn't really want to have him on board. Um, it was when Pepe Marotta had just come in and was trying to sort out the dressing room harmony. It was when Kendreva's wife was coming out and speaking about her wanting to leave Paris, uh, wanting them to leave, to leave Inter. Perisic was upset. There was so much stuff for Spalletti to deal with, but as a tactician. He is truly, really one of the best because in his Roma side, the initial one that had, you know, Francesco Totti as a false number nine was perhaps one of the greatest Roma sides ever. It is one that inspired yeah. Pep Guardiola. It is one that inspired Manchester Lippi's 2006. So him I trust. I'll go into Napoli, but I just want to talk about, I'm so glad that he got to have this opportunity and for everyone to look at him right now. I, I have this in my head. Um, Francesco Totti, uh, wrote an autobiography a couple of years ago in Italian. It's now coming out in English. Um, I actually had the very great um, pleasure to speak to him recently, which um, will be coming out in The Guardian in the next week or two. Ooh. So um, look out for that. But uh, the in this autobiography, he talks about Spalletti. And of course, they, there's a lot to talk about there. They have a whole relationship that at one point was amazing and at a later point got quite bad. Um, so that's a story unto itself we don't need to get into. But there's just this sort of casual reference at one point, talking actually during the best part of Spalletti's time when he was, Totti's very high on, on, on Spalletti's influence. But Spalletti, sorry, Totti's basically saying, you know, this guy is crazy. And when I <laughs> sort of talk about crazy, it's like, this is a manager who like, will like, you'll be one day, they'll be at the, at the training ground and he'll be running naked down the corridor. And you think, <laughs> what, this is not normal. Really? <laughs> this is not normal behavior for, for a manager. Some things you're used to happening. Um, oh, I did. I would not have guessed that. I think he's 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 a he's got a personality, Spalletti, um, and I think maybe who knows because there's been other strong personalities there before, but maybe a strong personality um, with a little bit of madness in it is is what Naples, which is a city of strong personalities with a little bit of madness in them, maybe um, maybe that's what we need. It's funny because as a tactician, I think he's wonderful, but I've never known about his man management because it's actually one of the coaches I've never interviewed or sat with. So I don't know him on that level and what it's like to have man managers. And obviously you've heard a lot about what people have said about him. But the thing that I think that might be the key to Napoli 
is that the game plan? They seem to really like coaches who just entertain them with a game plan and they get to express themselves on the pitch. And then they don't need to be so disciplined and, and man-managed, you know? And I think that's why they enjoyed themselves on the Mauritius setting and did well is because they could focus on that part of it rather than all the discipline and, you know, all of that that came later. And maybe that's what they get to do with Spalletti. They're just so enjoying the different schemes, their ability to express themselves, that they're not lashing out, if that makes sense. I think it's such a fascinating mix of personalities in Naples. And I know you've talked about this like a few times before, Mina, that in the end, you just don't trust them to have that sort of strength in the critical moments. And and I would, you know, understand if that view is unchanged, because frankly, the, the six games they've played other than Juventus have mostly been slightly smaller clubs. There haven't been those big moments yet. For me, there's there's two things beyond Spalletti. I think Spalletti is definitely, as you say, a manager who, look, he's won the league with, with Zenit. He hasn't won Serie A yet, but I think he's capable of winning Serie A. Yeah. But, um, but beyond that, it's two players. I think Anguissa has had an immediate impact and is fascinating, um, his impact on that team. But above all for me, it is still... They spent 70 million euros on a striker a summer ago. That striker was injured quite a lot in his first season at the club. We're now in his second season. He's had more time to integrate. Victor Ossiman is who I'm talking about in case anyone hasn't picked it up yet. And so far this season, he's been brilliant. And so, yeah, if you've got a brilliant 70 million euro striker, <laughs> your title chances should get better. And I think he's he's wonderful. He's, he's um, not just scoring goals. He's He's really a technically astonishing player who I'm really enjoying watching. He's technically astonishing. I think the way he positions himself. I also feel like he's like a hurricane. Like defending against him must be, he just, he's constantly switched on. It doesn't, it's almost like he doesn't take a breath to relax for a second, you know? So imagine having to defend against him. I feel like I'd be, I mean, I'd be exhausted. I'd be out there like asking for more like glucose in my system because he is, he just knows how to overwhelm you and then he uses his feet and uses his, he's so smart and he is so good. And right now, top scorer in Europe alongside Benzema. Um, I know that him and Anguissa and, and Fabian Ruiz should be getting all the plaudits and they are, they are getting that and, and compliments to them. But I also want to slightly mention, because for a while now, I don't feel like Koulibaly has been Koulibaly. Yeah. And I did mention many times that I don't like his partnership with Maharas because I don't actually... And I've never really rated Manolas before, but for some reason, when Napoli bought him, I was like, oh, wow, what a great purchase, <laughs> you know, maybe because he's a big name. But actually having Koulibaly next to Ramani has bought Koulibaly back, like to what we remember him, you know, the leader. Yeah. And I feel like Ramani, you know, he is obviously, a, you know, a Eurich disciple or at least trained under him, but he's been really amazing alongside him and I think he's so calm on the ball I think that he can play in any position so he understands the different you know uh, requirements he knows what Koulibaly needs and what he can provide and he's just sort of like the right soul to place alongside him he's not fast he's not necessarily got the the organization of Albiol but I think he just might be the exact guy next to him to bring out that defensive partnership that has obviously secured that back line and I just wanted to highlight that Okay, Mina, we've talked about the top of the table, no longer scraping the bottom of the table, but resurgent, <laughs> Mina, with two wins in two games. Juventus beat uh, Sampdoria 3-2. Um, it's, it's, all, it's all okay now, right? Juventus are, are back. <laughs> 
I don't know why, but when you're saying this, it just seems like even you're like, whatever, this is so not true. <laughs> but I'm just going to give it to her and see what she does with it, you know? Yeah. I'm actually genuinely curious because, look, I, I, I think I've always been, even if I'm not assertive, I like to prod a bit, but like I, um, because I'm, because I'm not a Juventus fan, so I don't have the investment that you do, but I think I have shared some of your sense of, yeah, it'll come all right though. And now they have won a couple of games. I don't, I don't think it's all fixed and fine, but I'm curious to know what you think. I don't think they're all fixed and fine because I think they're so, I mean, they're all so error prone, right? And they can't seem to keep a clean sheet. I don't think that's necessarily important in this day and age anymore. But I also feel like everything's really nervy. It was a nervy watch against Betsy. It was nervy against um, Sampdoria when they had, they can score goals and they were doing well. But there's always that moment where you just feel like anxiety takes over them and then you worry. And that's what I feel like the worry hasn't gone. And for so long, I was so used to watching Juventus with this sheer safety that this was Juventus. But this is, they've lost that intimidating edge, which is actually something I want to say about Napoli. Because I feel like a lot of stuff, a lot of games are dependent on psychology. I do really believe in that. But with Napoli right now, nobody wants to take them on. Everyone just wants to make sure that they're locked up and safe. And I wonder what will happen when teams actually a little bit more ambitious in their, in their play and take them on. But with Juve, I just feel it's a case of there's a lot of chat about this game, about the fact that it was just Locatelli and Bentancourt and whether that was better. And... My my takeaway from all of this match was that Sampdoria let themselves down. They were so open. It was a game in which you just felt like it was a free fall. So, of course, you could see the beauty of Locatelli in this match. Of course, it's wonderful that he had this partnership with Dybala, but no one was doing anything to try to stop them. Do you agree or not really? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually um, have had some sort of, uh, I've had some some feedback from Sampdoria fans this season. I'm not giving them enough credit. And you think, well, they did get walloped by Napoli. And then um, this game, they, they they played some good football coming forwards. And um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I make of, of, of Sampdoria right now. So they have done some good stuff going forward. It's odd to me that significant part of the good stuff coming forward is coming through the 34-year-old Antonio Candreva and the 34-year-old Chicho Caputo. But mm. there you go. That's um, football. Age is but a number, Mina. But I I don't know. I, I think that Juventus certainly don't look stable at the back at all. They tried swapping uh, Chesney out and giving Mattia a Perin a go, which I'm glad they did. I think they need to do that, but it didn't make a huge difference to how they look uh, defensively. As a counterpoint to that, I felt like it was really encouraging to see Locatelli finally sort of take a, a handle in midfield. It was his best performance since going to Juventus for sure. And I thought that perhaps this was one of the first games where I felt like maybe Allegri said, you know what, like the old plan of sitting back and being good at defending isn't really working. So at least let's try to attack more because we're not that good at defending at the moment. But I wish he would really do that because sometimes I feel like they're a bit in two minds about it. But I really think at this point you should do what Conte tried to do with Inter last season, which is, you know, in the beginning, just let loose because we we clearly can't defend, you know? Yeah, and I, I, I think I agree. And I think that you can say this too bluntly, right? Because when I talk about, what I, when I say what I'm about to say, like you can compare their squad to lots of teams in Serie A and abundantly the talent is better, right? But... By the standards of Juventus, 
Mm. And specifically Juventus, who've won the league nine times in a row. When I look at this squad, I think to myself, is the talent actually that good? Is it actually the sort of level of Juventus talent that we've thought about? And I think there are parts of the pitch where it is, and there are parts of the pitch where it isn't. And the parts of the pitch where it is, probably, or at least where you find they have the most options, is up front and just behind the attack. So embrace that. Like, focus on what you have got that's good, because... The, the center of the park is not great and it's not going yeah. to be fixed right now. The, 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 the fullbacks even, I think, has been a position which is gradually, not even because they've changed players, but Alexandra and Juan Cuadrado are these old. really sort of the top European names that, yeah, <laughs> that, that you want anymore. No, they're not. Alexandra is years off where he's been at his best and Cuadrado is such a warrior. Like I really admire how hard he works, but it's not a Hakimi type figure who you think, wow, I'm excited about what's going to happen here. I think you've got to focus on what you do well. And and hopefully, from Juventus' standpoint, certainly going into a big game against Chelsea in the Champions League, that's what they're trying to do. And I have to ask this question, Mina. I have to, because I know you've always been his biggest fan. Yes, of Paolo Dybala is going to miss that game against Chelsea. And how big of a blow do you think that is? Well, this is something that this has upset me because I really did feel for him when I saw him sort of walking off. Like, you don't want to see anyone really cry. And you just feel like even he's fed up with the level of injuries that they've got, it would, that he gets, you know. But it is difficult when you're sitting there demanding to be the highest paid in a team when you've never been there consistently speaking, you know. You're never, you haven't been the star. You haven't been the guy that we can always rely on, a guarantee, like, even Kessier is for Milan, like, you know, like Ibra's always injured, but there, there is just, it's a little bit like Sensi. He's so wonderful to watch, but he's just hardly ever there. And with Dybala, I'm just thinking to myself, I love the fact that on this occasion, he was closer to Locatelli. You could see the brilliance of his play. And it's so annoying to score a goal like that, to have like everyone see the, the, the beauty of your play. And then once again, you know, something happens and you have to go off with a muscular injury. But this is kind of why I don't want to devote too much time with him. And I would like him to possibly look at different clubs, not because I don't think he's there, but on a mental level, it's taken him a really long time to show the brilliance of his play. And then when he does get it, he doesn't have the continuity because his body doesn't afford him that. I hope we see more and then we can properly judge that. But without him and without Morata against Chelsea, I mean, this is going to be diabolical because they have an actually great defense. But I'd like to see what Kulusevsky can do. I'm always going to trust in Keza, although I'd like him to still play a little bit more with the team and to stay higher up the pitch. I hate people having to move around or cover a lot of ground. But mm. I also want to just kind of quickly talk about um, Sampdoria because it's really bizarre, their performances. Because I actually really, I'm a big fan of Daversa. I don't know why, because he's not usually the type of, of coach that I follow, but I love Disparma team. I love their performance against Empoli because I thought that they were tactically so flexible. They could be position, uh, possession-based, they could be um, vertical, they were capable of going down the wings or through the middle or hold the ball or actually just really spring a fast counter-attack. But what against, I've seen recently against Napoli, I've seen against Juventus, they let their head down and they don't fight when they feel there's a fight that needs to be had. And it's almost like a, it's that weird Napoli thing that I was talking about, like, just tackle, just throw yourself, just get a yellow card, you know? But it was kind of sometimes like, mm, a little bit like I saw from Cagliari sometimes, like we're going to lose this anyway, so what's the point? And that is something Diversa really needs to fix. But do you think Chelsea is going to be 3-0? <laughs> I, I think it's going to be a very, very uh, tough game for Juventus against Chelsea. I don't think Juventus are 
anywhere near where they're, what they're capable of being right now. And, and Chelsea are playing pretty well. The other team we haven't got to yet that's in the Champions League from Italy, of course, is Milan. They uh, won 2-1 away to Spezia. And very clearly the big headline from this game is Daniel Maldini, <laughs> the third generation of Maldini after Cesare and then Paolo Maldini to um, play for Milan's first team. He had played for them before, but he made his first start and scored his first goal in a 2-1 win. He's 19 years old. Unlike his uh, father and grandfather, who were defenders, he's a centre forward or a number 10, really. I, again, I don't want to sort of do this thing where you sort of see these one thing and you build a whole narrative off it. He's <laughs> still a teenager, but it's a cool story. Yeah, it's a cool story. And maybe well, something I wrote on social media was maybe it was a blessing in disguise that they lost Chalinoglu because now we're seeing Brahim Diaz do his thing and really shine. And then also when he's not playing, then you can see Daniel Maldini score and contribute to the dynasty. Yeah. And I, lo- I love that. I love that Pioli is the manager who does this. I think one of the things that like, of course, everyone, everyone in football blows smoke sometimes. They say things that are just like flattery or whatever. But honestly, every one of these young players at Milan, whenever you read an interview with them, they're all talking about in specific terms, oh, Pioli gives me advice. Pioli comes to me. Pioli talks to me about my movements. Pioli... And same thing with Maldini, scores this goal. Oh, Pioli's been doing this with me on the training ground. I, I think it's, it's such a, a great dynamic they have there to have the chance to come through there. And, you know, let's be excited and also not put too much pressure on the kid because he he's a kid with a lot of weight on his shoulders already. I think you also had some strong feelings on the other side of this matchup, <laughs> Mina and, and Thiago Motta. Well, yeah, because I was saying to you before this match, and you always laugh when I say this, that I thought Thiago Motta was the worst coach in the world. <laughs> <laughs> in the world in the world it was in a world where Mazzari exists <laughs> yeah. Mazzari is so your point like, you really dislike him I felt like Gav really believed that way as well at the time <laughs> oh, he actually I don't think Mazzari is the worst I'm sure there's worse than Mazzari but he does frustrate me uh, um, yeah Tiago Motta it, it was Genoa that he was coach of and I just thought my God, sir, like nobody can hold possession like 80% of the time. Like you have to figure out a different way of playing. And <laughs> when he when he joined Spezia, I was like, wow, can you imagine going from Vincenzo Italiano to Tiago Monta? Like talk about disappointing. <laughs> but he's actually been pretty good. <laughs> and I can't figure it out. Like I was like, oh, okay, like he's being pragmatic. He knows how to be a vertical. He's like, you know what, Milan, you take possession. We're just going to try to like use our other weapons, actually look at what we have and, and maybe try to be a little bit clever on it. And hold on a second, Teo Hernandez is your point of like, you know, attacking play. So I'm going to put a player on there to stop him or to make him have to think twice about what he can do. And again, really smart. It's like he had really studied Milan, really tried to figure out where the weaknesses are. And I do want to talk about the boy that he did put, which is Antiste, um, and, and he played him sort of in front of Teo, Teo Hernandez on the on the right-hand side, um, only because he's born on the same day as me and because Milan really, really wanted to buy him. They had scouted him for a while. He'd gone to Toulouse. Um, he actually, when he was one year, one year old, he was involved in a car crash and nearly passed away. Um, but like as a miracle, he managed to survive that, went on to become a football player, obviously, and one that was like, you know, played as a, as a striker and then through the middle. And then now, you know, now we see him taking on different roles. And I think he has a lot of potential and I'm happy for Spezia that they're the ones that got him right now. But um, yeah, I just wanted to say that 
good on Tiago Motta for sort of, you know, in, endorsing the more pragmatic style of coaching. <laughs> I think that leads us nicely to while a siren goes off in the background of them. <laughs> I do worry about Brighton because there's always a siren in the background. What's happening over yes. there? They see, this is why I need to get my new flat, Mina, so I'm not right in the middle where these sirens <laughs> seem to go all day long. I um, think that leads us on nicely to other, any other sort of bits and pieces from this week that we were interested in. I've got one that I, I have to talk about, which is mm. Mattia Destro's um, scoring a goal with a water bottle in his hand in a wild game, by the way, between Genoa and Verona. Genoa, who were just bought out by American owners. Um they went 2-0 uh, down, went 3-2 up, ended up drawing 3-all. But Destro's um, third goal, the one that put uh, Genoa 3-2 up, he's holding a bottle of water, which um, it's late in the game. It's about the 85th minute. He obviously had just gone for a drink and then the attack started and he's like, well, don't know what I'm going to do with this now. He said it. He's like, I had it in my hand, didn't know where to put it, so I just kept holding on to it. And it just, it put me in mind of those ridiculous moments you end up in in life where like you sort of, things start happening around you and you react and like you're, you're not properly prepared and what it actually put me in mind of I don't know if you remember this was there was a BBC TV presenter I think it was Simon McCoy but I'm not sure who uh was presenting the news like live on TV and somehow instead of an iPad in his hands he wound up with like a full ream of, of printer paper so he's there <laughs> really it's on YouTube and it's brilliant he's there presenting the news and he's just holding printer paper <laughs> Do you think he was about to so that's what I think of. Do you think he was about to fill the printer and then just thought, oh, I have to be live on TV now? <laughs> well, because no, I, th- I think genuinely, because like they quite often do those shots where like the presenter is a standing shot, where like they're holding like their tablets, and I think he was supposed to be holding his tablet and somehow <laughs> just wound up picking up. Honestly, if you haven't seen it, that's like my dad's version of a tablet. <laughs> It's it's on YouTube and it's it's so surreal. But that's what I thought of when Destro was there clutching his bottle of water as he scored a goal. A really good goal, by the way, <laughs> uh, to make it 3-2. That was a bonkers um, game. game. Well, what do you think of Igor Tudor, just quickly? Do you think that he could do something for Verona? I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think I said this last week, he's sort of the, the salvation expert and he's coming a bit early for salvation. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I do like that they showed that, like, mentality at the end to get the third goal you know yeah it was I mean this was really a bonkers game um and it came right off the back of the Inter game uh it just it's a bit breathless like constantly this weekend and constantly all this season this has definitely not been a season for defensive purists but it has been a season for if you like football games that look like pinball (laughs) Sometimes that's what we've been getting in Serie A this season. It's been it's been really really um, entertaining, and I do think um, I don't want to say this in a way that's disparaging because I don't actually think it in a disparaging way. The quality has been uneven. There's been uneven quality in some of these games, but there's also been some bloody brilliant goals in amongst all these goals, and there has just been a shift in. And as I, you've, if you've listened to us do um, any shows before over the last couple of years, you would have heard me and Mina saying this: like Italian football has been quite attacking and high scoring for a while. But this season, it really feels like we're off the deep end. Like we've gone through into something just really, really um, nonstop. And Geno and Verona are definitely buying into that this weekend. Yeah, but it is worrying me because Opto released their skill, uh, the, you know, some of the statistics basically. And it's 
obviously Serie A is the highest scoring league right now with 3.2 goals a game. And when you compare that to La Liga, it's hugely, massively more. Um, we're above the Bundesliga at 2.98. I do worry about the level of defending. Um, I mean, some of the goals that Roma conceded, some of the goals that Juventus conceded, like, it's really hideous play. And I'm talking about two big teams. I'm not even mentioning like the kind of goals that Salernitana concedes, you know? So I do wonder yeah. whether there is a lost art there. And, and these things always make me worry. I'm not a defensive purist, but I do like balance. And that is potentially why I'm going to tell you that Fiorentina played Udinese and they got 1-0. And it, the, it was the most hideous 1-0 you can imagine because Udinese probably <laughs> should have won that match in the second half. But boy, do I love a team that cling on. <laughs> and um, so I do, I do really just want to rate Italiano for being able to play a vast array of football. Sometimes it's pretty, sometimes it's deathly awful to watch. But either way, if you're getting the points, that I guess that's all that matters, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Was there any other topics you wanted to get to, uh, Mina, before we say goodbye for this week? No, I'm all good. I think I've mentioned everything. It's just nice to chat to you. There will be um, uh, an extra uh, episode coming up on Thursday or Friday this week of our uh, mailbag. So do check back in for that. Also, we are now on Podbean. So check out the excellent Podbean app and subscribe on there. If you aren't doing that already, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini at Mina Rizuki and the podcast itself is at Seria Akron Pod. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And to help the show, please consider making a contribution at seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter. We will be back, as I say, on Thursday or Friday with our mailbag episode. And then on Monday, Tuesday next week, we record on Monday, sorry. We, we will be out on Tuesday next week <laughs> uh, with the next uh, full instalment looking back over the, the weekend section. But for now, Mina, it was lovely to hang out. Lovely to speak to you as always. And we'll see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.